Talk Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Get ready to raise a toast with Seattle's most spirited hour of talk, Happy Hour Radio. Explore the best in Washington wines, beer, spirits, food, and more with your guide, Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. It's Happy Hour Radio, right now on Talk Radio 570 KVI. Well, hello, Seattle. Hello, Puget Sound, and welcome to Happy Hour Radio. I am your host, Christopher Chan, advanced sommelier, your weekend wine guy, and uh, your commodore of coffee today. I'm super excited, uh, as I am every Saturday night, because uh, it's it's summer for, first of all, is this the best summer ever? Uh, as long as it's sunny and blue and warm, it is the best summer ever. We've had a couple of great vintages here in Seattle, starting with 2013. That was a fantastic summer, and uh, it keeps on rolling along. Um, maybe this global warming thing ain't so bad. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, just kidding, of course. Uh, my folks live on the beach, so I'm sure that uh, they'll lose some of that precious beach waterfront um, as the icebergs melt and uh, the air conditioning continues to put out CO2 into our atmosphere. But on a lighter note, uh, let's talk about CO2 in the fermentation way. And I'm always curious about how many how many uh, tons of metric tons of carbon dioxide are produced through fermentation every year. I'm always curious about that. But that's what the mind of a radio talk show hosts, how it works, and <laughs> kind of the minutia that we, uh, that we ponder. Um, and speaking of ponder, I've got uh, one of uh, my most admired friends here in the wine business, uh, Robin Pollard. She uh, was the former executive director of the Washington State Wine Commission. Uh, she is uh, living on Vashon Island, and she started a coffee project, uh, as well as her uh, brand new wine project. And uh, I'm super pleased to welcome Welcome, uh, Robin Pollard. Welcome to Happy Hour. Thank you. Delighted to be here. Yes, thanks for spending Saturday night uh, here in the beautiful downtown Seattle, uh, the the Palace of uh, Como Fisher Studios. So uh, let's talk. You were the obviously the executive director. How many years were you executive director? I was there uh, six years. Six years. I started in two thousand five, um, and at that time there were three hundred wineries. Um, Yes, I remember. It was, it was like 250, uh, and then it boosted up to 300. And I remember we made this, the cover of the Wine Spectator that year. That's right. That's yeah. right. And then by the time I left, we had ballooned up to 800 wineries. And I saw a dramatic growth in not only the number of licensed wineries, but also the total acreage planted in wine grapes. Yes, uh, of course, everyone... Needs wine grapes, and uh, Washington State started had at that point about thirty thousand acres, twenty five thousand acres, and it's obviously doubled today. Yes. It's more than fifty thousand, and it sounds like it's continuing to increase. It is, it is. I think other winemakers and grape growers from other regions in the U.S. are recognizing the quality, the perfect climate, the perfect climate for wine <laughs> in Washington. That's right, and uh, we're seeing a lot of outside investment. Right. Obviously, the Red Mountain thing with uh, the Canadians, and uh, we've got uh, Constellation or Gallo came in and bought some property in Duckhorn, California, uh, even some French people, I understand, most recently, which is really exciting. And uh, obviously, this is a big state. It's about the size of France, isn't it? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it seems that way. So it makes sense that we should grow um, wine in almost every corner. We do, actually. Puget Sound, I have to imagine that this summer is a great vintage for the Puget Sound Appalachian. Well, interesting you say that I planted uh, 30 vines <laughs> where we live, just 
to practice and figuring that we lived at a winery, we should have a few token <laughs> wine grapes there. So I planted a Madeleine Angevine right. and Mueller Thurgau. And I was looking at the clusters this morning, and they're coming on strong. So I may get like one bottle of wine out of those. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. You know, I was always curious, why why can't Vitis vinifera grapes be table grapes? I would like to buy those at the store. I thought that'd be so unique. Yeah, yeah. And, I agree. I think they're delicious. Um, I actually have made jam yeah. out of some of our oh, yeah. <laughs> grapes. You know, I'll steal ten pounds, you know, out of the bins and <laughs> no. jam. Do you do uh, triage? Do you do pre-sorting <laughs> for that? You're looking for mog. <laughs> <laughs> No, I do vineyard designate jam. No, I like it. Hey, I was thinking we need to do some honey. We have our vineyard in Walla Walla. We've got uh, yeah. a bunch of lavender down there. And, there you go. Uh, that's today. We, we it's it's becoming obviously um, the world is a is a giant place, but it's a very small place because we can reach anybody anytime, and we're probably being surveilled right now. <laughs> but we want to know where things are and who made it. And uh, 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 there's a great book by Terry, Terry Thies that came out. Um, Terry Thies, and he uh, it, it's uh, why we drink wine. You should. It's I just gotten the few first few pages and it's it's soul blowing hmm. the way he approaches it and the way he sort of frames that you know wine's not a commodity it's it's not it's a living thing in a way that it actually uh, evolves and matures and expresses itself in different fashions and um during times of the year but really wine is the expression of somebody's craft and care in that particular place and the soils and the sun and the time and the the attention and the patience and the reward and really this is this takes is supposed to take you to a place it does it really does um it's all that you said and it's so should be part of our culture and so should be you know part of our food scene more than i think it is currently but i i see great opportunities for that and um, seeing the next generation of winemakers and grape growers, you know, come evolve in Washington State. Is that would so be it, you, though, wouldn't it? <laughs> it's so exciting to see. It is very exciting. Yeah. Um, and you've, you've uh, obviously um, met so many people in the wine business. You've traveled the world representing Washington wine, which is fantastic. And when you think about Washington wine, what, what three or four adjectives do you, would you use? Obviously you've had some practice in that, hmm. pr- that part of the, uh, the vocabulary, but what, what you, words do you like to uh, share with people that sort of emphasize or, um, describe what, what the special place is that high arid desert? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think freshness comes to mind, um, that, is that perfect combination between being fruit forward and just then the earthiness um, that the vineyards impart on the wine. Um, there's a certain kind of vibrancy about Washington wines. Um, again, it's about the wonderful fruit that we can grow here uh, so well. And then you've got the impact of the volcanic soils or the... Um, the right Zulu amount flood, of heat, yeah, and, and also I think we're getting to be much more sophisticated in terms of clonal selections and planting the right varieties on the right sites. So I think all of that, um, thanks to the great research that's happening here and the innovation and openness to try new things. Right. We are still kind of the Wild West frontier, meaning that um, we're not trying to, we don't have <laughs> stagecoach robbers or things like that, but we, we're a, a community of, of explorers, which are taking 
uh, going on this journey of uh, looking at vines, making wine, and then, of course, um, sharing it with the consumer, which tends to be the last part that anyone thinks of. It's always <laughs> sometimes the most challenging, of course, uh, because the grapes don't necessarily talk back. That's right. <laughs> and they rarely say no. <laughs> it's Mother Nature who comes in. Um, well, you, uh, you've seen the growth of the Washington wine industry. You've actually been out of the, uh, the commission for six, seven years now, right? Correct. You left, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I know that the team with uh, Steve Warner and Chris Stone at the helm, they're still progressing. And um, it's interesting to see how vintages uh, have come, risen and fallen. I think that's part of just the natural selection of, of nature, right? That just, hey, I, I worked too hard last year. I'm, I'm, maybe it's French. I'm going on strike <laughs> this year. A little less grapes. Uh, well, you uh, you have a partner, uh, Chris Camarda, and you uh, he has, uh, what, 32 years now, I think, isn't it? Yes. 32 yes. years in the business. And yep. so you have a little uh, tutelage, a little mentorship, someone holding your hand. Um, when you when you decided to, to produce your own label, what are some of the questions, or what what was the um, the genesis or the progenesis of of the, the thought? I want to do what? Well, I went into this wanting to be a grape grower because of my family heritage as farmers, and my grandfather was German. Um, he grew wine grapes, made wine in his cellar, and so I think it was ingrained in my uh, spirit. And so I started looking for um, a site to plant a vineyard, which then evolved into making wine because when you're not a completely established uh, vineyard, uh, you, you uh, need to have an outlet for your <laughs> for your product. Other than the birds? Other than the birds, <laughs> yeah. And so I planted 10 acres um, outside of Zilla. Sounds like more than 30 vines. It was. In fact, I, um, I did some experimentation. Uh, Chris and I decided that this site could handle a much denser planting. So I did six by three. The normal is um, eight by four. And so I've got 2,400 vines per acre, uh, where the average is 1,700. So I wanted to maximize the ground. Um, and I also put a lot of energy into doing research on what clones I wanted to select. And I have all French clones, with one exception, uh, Cabernet Clone 4, a Washington clone. Mm. So half the vineyard's in Cabernet Franc because that's my favorite grape. And I have that liberty to make that decision and selection. And then the balance is in Merlot and Cabernet. So when uh, we planted the vineyard in 2014, and lo and behold, it started producing the next year. Right. Isn't that crazy? It is crazy. And you actually got a lot of fruit. I did. I got, um, we ended up leaving some in uh, in the vineyard because we wanted the energy to go into the vines. Uh But we did harvest enough to make 90 plus cases of a red blend of Cabernet Merlot. Okay. And then the next year, 2016, the Cab Franc came into um, its own. And so we produced 120 cases of the Cabernet Franc. And then I'll be releasing a red blend in September, about 1,000 cases. Wow. So that little vineyard is um, is. <clears throat> pretty uh, enthusiastic about <laughs> getting out there. I remember when we planted in Walla Walla, our first vintage, um, our winemaker, uh, vineyard manager, Kenny Hart, we made port, well, port-style wine. 
uh, from the Tempranillo that was growing wow. there, and uh, they still have a few bottles of it. Uh, and I figured maybe that's what you might have done, but you make still wine. Were you pleased with it? Are you pleased with its evolution? Is young Very. fruit showing more than people give it credit for? Yes, I think um, there's. I may be biased, but I think that way too much emphasis is made on the age of the vineyard, um, because we're proving, I think, in the the glass that a young vineyard can produce a complex structured, interesting uh, glass of wine. I thought you were going to talk about it. Took a <laughs> sip of wine. You got me mid-sip. Um, well, I agree. I think I, th- I agree with that, that we probably place too much emphasis. Um, but we like the idea, and, and I think having age on wine or vines is something that's been set to, for us to be good. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, this is a 60-year-old you know, burgundy. Oh, okay, right. God, it's got to be good. Right. Um, so 60-year-old vines, well, they got to be good. they got to right. know what they're doing. Uh, and where is the vineyard? Is the Yakima is uh, was the first AVA nineteen eighty three? I think right. it was. And so, what part of the valley are you in? So we're in the upper uh, Yakima Valley, just outside of Zilla, which is about fifteen miles from Yakima. And who are your neighbors? Pat Deneen. Um, Pat Deneen. <laughs> yep. Uh, two Blondes Vineyard, Sheridan, Two Mountain Winery. Patrick Ron is my vineyard manager. Okay. Yeah. Doing a fantastic job. And he's two job. mountain winery, two mountain winery. Two right? mountain winery. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, what's the soil type there? It's um, less. It's um, my site's very, very rocky. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so it's alluvial then. It's yes. all erosion from the upper side that's just coming down and, yep. and resting on a little. I've been out there obviously with uh, um, uh, Sheridan Vineyard in Pantanine, and it's a lovely spot. I love that you get this great vista. You can look down into the valley and and sort of uh, see all the neighbors and and the birds and hear the the shotguns are <laughs> shooting. Yeah. How how is the last year? Did the birds come? Is you, have you seen seasonal migration? Um, I don't think it's been necessarily seasonal. I you know it is an issue, and we take our measures to try to keep them out of the vineyard. But you know it's. Are they crows? Are they starlings? Are they starlings? Starlings. Yeah. Okay, the darling starlings yes. who are <laughs> stealing wine grapes, valuable wine grapes. And I'm speaking with Robin Pollard, who just started her new label, Pollard Wine, and she have a coffee company. It's called Pollard Coffee. Pollard Coffee. All right, <laughs> uh, I like it. Hey, we're going to dive into this uh, beautiful bottle of uh, Pollard Vineyard Cabernet Franc when we come back right here on Happy Hour Radio. Start your day the right way. The Commute with Carlson, live and local, weekdays 6 to 9 a.m., Talk Radio 570, KVI. You're in the know with KVI Want to Know Weekends. Here's more Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle. Hey, welcome back. Hope you're having a great Saturday night. You got something tasting your glass. I've got uh, some delicious wine from a brand new winery. It's a label called Pollard, uh, courtesy of Robin Pollard, the former executive director of the Washington Wine Commission from 2005 to 2011. She took a little time off, uh, traveled the world, started a coffee company, and got into uh, vineyard management or planting a vineyard and realized uh, to have the full circle, you need to actually make some wine as well. So, Robin, we have Pollard Wines, 2016 Pollard Vineyard Cabernet Franc. You're up there in just outside of Zilla or in Zilla uh, in the upper Yakima Valley. You planted this is third leaf 
uh, fruit, correct? Correct. And it's 100% Cabernet Franc? Yes. Okay, well, let's taste it here. All right. Well, the first thing is delicious. Um, and for such a young wine to have uh, such approachability, um, obviously I'm looking at your, your tech notes, 20% new oak, 3.8 pH, um, which is pushing, it seems that's probably relatively average, might be a little higher. 14.1 alcohol, that's very moderate for, I think, Washington State. This has a lot of ripeness, um, dark black, blue, red fruit, maybe not so much blue. Um, Cab Franc, you have some of the herbaceousness, uh, the pyrazines. Vanilla. Tannin structure is great. I'm curious about that because tannin to me is really what makes the red wine um, special. It's just tannin management. So what's your approach to this particular uh, selection? Um, I think picking it obviously at the right time. You know, and so twenty four bricks. Twenty four, twenty five. Okay. Bricks. Yeah. Definitely. That's that's the starting point. Um, and then the oak treatment. Um, 20% new oak, um, just enough to give it, you know, to bring out, you know, the complexities of this wine. What's interesting, too, it's 1.5 tons per acre. Now, with 2,400 plants per acre, <laughs> that let's see, that's uh, 3,000 pounds of grapes. So you're basically getting 1.5 pounds per, per plant, which is basically three clusters. Yeah. Or four yeah. clusters. Well, Bear in mind, this was the first fruit off these vines. And so we wanted the energy to go back into the root system, and that was our focus for the first couple of years. Interesting. Uh, when, you, when you think about maceration time, are there some secrets? I know that there's a winery up in Snohomish called Quilcita Creek that has a very proprietary maceration and temperature fermentation process that has not be shared, obviously, for, for 100-point reasons. <laughs> what? How do you approach it? Are you stainless steel, plastic bins for maceration? Do you have remontage, pump over, tannin extraction? Uh, are you using a uh, cultured yeast, or do you have um, other dipped a toe in it or something? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wave a wand over it. Um, we use all native yeast. Um, I'm fortunate in terms of having the Andrew Will winemaking expertise uh, there as well as their kind of proven equipment. And so we have used stainless steel fermentation tanks where we can do um, pump over from the, the bottom. Uh-huh. And control. Is that the big bubble thing? The bubbleator. The bubbleator. Call yes. it. Yes. So Seattle yes. Center, nineteen seventy. <laughs> <laughs> and you know we keep a careful eye on the temperatures um, during fermentation process. Um, we keep a pretty light touch um, in terms of crushing and and I also have to give a huge amount of credit to our vineyard crew who do a fantastic job of sorting in the vineyard. Uh, I just took another sip. The wine is, is actually is getting better already in the mouth. Um, it, it just seems a little more elegant, uh, a little more expressive. Maybe I'm just getting in the mood. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, and you have, you said 190 cases of this? 120. 120 cases. Yes. Uh, is it available? Do you, is, it, is it a waiting list already? <laughs> Sold out? <laughs> Are you doing the Cayuse thing? <laughs> Not yet. But, <laughs> Not yet. but I'd like to. <laughs> but I'd like to. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Um, um, what, what's your, do you have some stores that are, are picking up your wine, or is there a wine club, or is there a website? There's a website, Pollard, PollardPerse.com. Pollard Perse. Uh, is there a definition to that? 
<laughs> Father per se, per se. Per se. Per se means to, in, in some way? In some way, um, kind of your own, you know, it's. All right. Well, I think Thomas Keller worked pretty well. It worked for him. So. <laughs> it worked for him. Uh, and this picture, it's, it looks lovely. It looks like kind of lavender, but I don't know. It's a colorful. It's a it's a large label. Pollard is is in a charcoal block letters. Um, what is this a picture of? Those are they look like trees. It's in a, a grove, basically with lilacs, purple flowers uh, in lilacs. it, and. It takes me back to my days of growing up um, on a farm and walking through our grove of trees that served as a windbreak. Uh, right. Having grown yes. up in Iowa, you know, Many you need those. those. With my dog Sandy, and and so we had an artist friend um, offer to do a, a painting, and so we we gave That's him. That's a painting. It's a painting. Wow, that looks like a photo. And it's obviously very colorful. I see some of the other strokes here. Uh, so it's it's an imaginary place. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And well, I, I'd i like to say, kind of going back to your comments about what wine means and what it does, this is a place that I'd like, I think, all of us would love to be transported back to. Yes, it looks very very calming, very soothing. It, it looks fresh and, and comfortable. Um, I, I can almost smell it, smell the flowers and, and just the freshness of the dew and the, the breeze, and I, I'm getting misty-eyed <laughs> here. Uh, this wine is really delicious. Um, you know, and Cabernet Franc is a somewhat of a chameleon wine. It, it, we look at Chinon, obviously, which is in the Loire Valley, um, some more Champagne. We've got a very, very high... Um, pyrazine level, so lots of bell pepper, mm-hmm. and that's the style. It's tobacco, it's bell pepper, it's ashtray, it's smoke, um, and they don't use much oak there, and probably less than 20%, to be honest. Right. On the right bank of Bordeaux, of, of course, Cabernet Franc plays a, a greater role. It's part of the Cheval Blanc blend, and of course, grows well over there for the, the li- limestone pan, the iron pan soils, and things like that. Uh, and those wines tend to be a little less pyrazenic because, A, they got Cabernet and Merlot already, but perhaps not too much Cabernet, more Merlot. But they're softer, and they, they have a little more new oak on them. And I would say 20% to perhaps 40%. Some, if the the Grand Cru ones, might have 100% wine. Did you have some... Did you taste the Cabernet Franc? I mean, you said it's your favorite wine. Have you tasted... You, obviously, you have tasted. But how many wines... Where, where did you say you wanted to be? Was it... Andrew, or Chris Camarda makes a great wine. I want mine to be very similar to that, or, mm-hmm. or what, what's your vision? Well, obviously, um, that is one of my favorite wines, you know, or wineries, wines from... Favorite Andrew. winemakers anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, of course, I wanted to emulate that, um, but I, I think the vineyard itself needed to express itself, so whatever we ended up with in terms of fruit, we were just going to make wine that was going to be true to that vineyard. Of course, I love Shannon. Um, I love any. Um, I love a lot of Cabernet Franc out of Bordeaux, but we're in Washington, and so I think that um, I was trying to achieve a wine that was going to be again true to the 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 place. Uh, the vineyard, true to Yakima Valley, uh, and of course the Pollard Vineyard. And uh, is it? Did you have some signs involved, northwest or, or north south facing rows, or was there a different aspect orientation? Tell me some of the the nuances of your vineyard site. The uh, vineyard sits at about twelve hundred feet at the high point, 
and it has a, a pretty steep 30 degree southwest facing slope in oh. fact you can't see the bottom of the vineyard at the top 30 degrees yeah it's a lot and i've got a beautiful view of mount adams and mount rainier at right. the top it's fantastic far enough away not to worry about any <laughs> that's right and so we did an angle um a southwest facing slope did you have to get water rights did no you? i have a well you have a well? I have a well, yes. Wow. Yes. It's a wishing well now. <laughs> yeah, the pump just went out last week, so <laughs> that's farming, as it's, they say. It's not the <laughs> no. kind of bucket thing, kind of that well? No. No, it's no. not. And how deep is the water table there? It's about, I'm guessing, a thousand Really? I think so. It's pretty deep Because well. you're, you're up, obviously, you're higher elevation, yes. and when you get yeah. down to the, the Yakima River there, and um, obviously, there's it seems like there's there's lots of water in Washington State, thank goodness. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so fun. Well, uh, where is this available at? Can people buy it? People can buy it directly off the website. Okay, PollardPerse.com. Uh, and uh, several of the restaurants here in Seattle, I'm very fortunate, um, awesome. are, are carrying it. Um, McCarthy and Shearing, uh, some of the other wine shops, Great. the Vashon Thriftway, uh-huh. <laughs> put a plug in for my local uh, grocery store. Of course. Do you know Heidi Skirpek? Heidi Witherspoon? No. She used to work at Precept. She, she's oh, a PR yes, gal. Yes, she's yes, a swimmer. Yes. Swims yes. back and forth. <laughs> she's got a cool reggae show over there on uh, the local station, whatever it is, Vashon something. She does a reggae hour once a week, and it's super fun. It's like, yeah, totally get that Vashon vibe. Yeah. Um, you should meet. You guys would be really fun people. Uh, so we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about your, your coffee company. But what's the price here? Is this $45? Uh, try 31. 31. I will try 31, <laughs> and I might try another part when we take a break. Hey, folks, stick around. I'm going to uh, speak more with Robin Pollard, who's the uh, former executive director of the Washington Wine Commission, now the full-time executive director of Pollard Per Se, uh, Pollard Vineyard Cab Franc 2016, and the coffee company, which we're going to try when we come back right here on 570 KVI. He's proud, holding nothing back. Michael Savage, The Savage Nation, weeknights 9 to midnight, talk radio 570, KVI. Now more KVI Want to Know Weekends. Back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle. Hey, welcome back. Time for round three. And uh, actually, I've got uh, some water, some coffee, and some wine. So that makes the triumvirate of uh, (laughs) Breakfast of Champions. Uh, we wake up late here in Talk Radio Land. I've got Robin Pollard, uh, the executive CEO of PollardPerse.com. She's got the 2016 Cabernet Franc from Pollard Vineyard, just planted in the uh, just outside of Zilla. And now we're going to talk about some coffee, which is good because this AC in this uh, evening studio is a little chilly. Um, I'm going to have some coffee. You started the coffee company four years ago? In 2012. 2012. So oh. when I left the Wine Commission, um, I was trying to think what's my next venture and so i bought a small commercial roaster in 2011 started playing around with it did you do that online uh, or did you go hey did you go to the thrift store or, or an antique store or where did you go did you go to starbucks roastery and hey i hear you got something for me 
Um, actually, there's a site called Sweet Maria's. It's really tailored to home roasters. Really? So we bought um, a, a small roaster that you could set up on your kitchen counter. It looks like about the size of a microwave. And so we started playing around with buying green beans from all over the world. You mean green coffee beans? Green coffee beans. That's right. <laughs> And uh, my partner Chris and I um, started really beginning to develop an understanding of the difference in varieties and different origins of coffees, not unlike wine. So one thing led to another, and I bought a commercial roaster from a family-owned manufacturer in Idaho called Dietrich. Really, Idaho is so uh, cosmopolitan, worldly, with their own coffee roaster. Interesting. Yeah. Um, Steve Dietrich started uh, building coffee roasters. He came from a long line of of coffee. His father had a, a coffee farm in Guatemala, and so they patented a certain design and system of roasting. And I did a lot of research, and I settled on them. And it's still the roaster I'm using today. So, what makes a commercial roaster? Fifty pounds of beans at a time, or is it a thousand pounds, or what? What's it take to? It be... has all ranges, but mine is a micro roaster. Okay. I do five pound batches five at pounds. a time. All right. Yes. Well, that's still a pretty big bag of beans. It is, and um, you know, I figured at the beginning I'd start small and see where this was going to take me. And it was just my time. So it's standing out there, you know, roasting and roasting. And unlike making wine, you don't have to wait 12 to 18 months to see if it's going to turn out okay. (laughs) I can wait 15 to 18 minutes uh, and, you know, cup the coffee after I roast it and and make sure that I'm satisfied with it. Well, let's talk about the the coffee process. Obviously, coffee is grown in a, a certain band or certain uh, latitudes of of the world. Uh, it tends to be from mid elevation to higher elevation. Is that correct? That's correct. Um, all you know, kind of around the equator. You uh-huh. know, coffee plants like heat, um, but they also like elevation. They like volcanic soils. Mm. So there's. I'm always constantly impressed with the similarities between uh, wine grape growing and coffee growing and the different um, soil composites that influence the coffee cherry. Um, the cherry, is which the, is the berry. The berry. And you got the seed. And then you go, you take that through a fermentation process, just like wine grapes. And, so basically um, a drying process, is that what it is? It's There's two ways to process a cherry. Wet processing, wet, where the cherries are immersed in a water bath and the pulp comes off sure. and, and they go through the fermentation process. Or there's the natural drying um, on beds, which the Ethiopians um, originated that process. And that's referred to as a natural um, drying process. What about the monkey things, that? <laughs> That's they eat the cherries. Yeah. Well, there's always got to be a gimmick. <laughs> so a coffee bean is really half the seed, correct? It is. Okay. And how long? Um, so is the green bean just the dried the dried seed? Correct. Okay. And at what are some of the uh, analytics of that? What's the is there TA at that? Is there a pH to that? Is there 
um, a moisture content. Um, what are the, some of the things you look for for a quality green coffee bean? You look for all of those chemical attributes and also the size. Um, the The industry has different sizing um, methods and and grading, like corks. Yeah, absolutely. And then um, coffee beans are um, often graded um, in terms of number ones or number twos. It depends on uniformity. And so um, there's a lot that goes into it. And, and a coffee bean is actually much more complex chemically than a wine grape is when it goes through oh, fermentation. I, I could see that, yeah. yeah. Is there... Um is there an industry standard? Is Folgers the industry standard for for very entry level coffee? And is there, uh, uh, like you said, we pick grapes at depending on what you want to do twenty four, twenty five bricks if you want to make a great red wine mm-hmm. or something less if you want to make white wine here in the state or even lower if you want to make great rosé. Um, is there a uh, a region where you find that the specific coffees that do you how many coffees do you have? I always origins. try to make sure that I have offerings from all the three major regions, uh, Central or South America, Indonesia, and Africa. Currently, um, I have Kenya, Rwanda, Ethiopia, Yurgashev, and I've got Java, Sumatra from Indonesia. That's and, why we call it Java, by the way, right? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> it's from the island. Uh-huh. And in Central America, I've got Honduras, Costa Rica, and a, a plethora of Guatemalas um, because I traveled there two years ago, had the good fortune of meeting some of the premier farmers, and now I can direct source beans from them. How many are named Juan? <laughs> <laughs> Not Maybe more than one. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so... Are you making blends like wine, or are you making single origin, single site I do selections? both. Oh, I yeah. do both. Um, again, from my wine experience, if you pair up several different kinds of coffee, it can make a better, uh, a Guatemalan can make a better Costa Rican that oh, can make a better Sumatran. Um, and it's fun to blend, you know, because you get sure. all these... Um, different characteristics uh, coming together. But I also am a huge fan of single origins, especially when you can find those premier coffee Again, single place, single person, single expression. Uh, How long does it take to roast a bean to where you believe it's at its optimal? Um, Anywhere from 15 to 18 minutes. And it's obviously on stainless steel or brass or something, some non-conductive metal. What's the temperature that typical? Is is there a process? You start slow, low and slow, or is it like barbecue, or what is it? Well, it depends on the bean. Um, I roast the African beans um, quite a bit differently than I would the Indonesian partly because of the hardness and the... Because they're dried differently, so they probably lose. They're dried differently and the size of the bean. So depending on the bean, I may start at a higher heat um, to give it that pop and kind of um, shock it so it'll open up. Um, Sear in the flavor, they would say, if it was a steak. That's right. (laughs) On a bigger, fatter, maybe a bean that has a little higher moisture content, I'll do a slower... Um, more moderate roast to to 
um, bring out the, the flavors more gently. What changes in the bean from green to black other than the color and perhaps um, caramelization of sugars or whatever else is in there? I don't yeah, know. when you watch the roasting process, you see it go through all these different stages. And you can um, an important part of roasting is to continue to look at the samples and to smell and to listen. And so you'll see at one point, point it starts to turn that brown it almost smells like peanut butter or um, hay and then it evolves and so it's going through this internal chemical change until it bursts and that's what we call the first crack and because this What's what's the burst part? Is that just where it expands it beyond yes. its icy? Yeah, the molting kind of thing. It is, it is. And if you take it too fast, it's not going to develop. Um, if you take it too slow, it's going to bake it. Right. Interesting. So there's definitely a science to it. And so, how many um, pounds of coffee are you producing a week? I'm roasting. Um, I did a record roast in June, about 300 pounds. Wow. And uh, you you drink coffee? Uh, can you drink coffee till the evening hours? Um, I can't. I can't. <laughs> I can't either. It's like eleven a.m. Yeah. and this is this is certainly pushing it. But what you do, because I do a lot of cupping and oh, sampling, right. yes. you spit. You spit. Yeah. yeah. Hey, folks. Uh, we have a cup of coffee in our cups right now, and we're going to chat about this particular blend because it's delicious. Stick around. I've got Robin Pollard of PollardPerse.com right here on Happy Hour Radio. Tune it in and turn it up. Cruise home with Kirby. The Kirby Wilbur Show, live and local. Weekdays, 3 to 6 p.m., KVI. KVI Want to Know Weekends continue. Now, back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle. Hey, welcome back to our fourth and final segment on Happy Hour Radio. If you ever miss a show, remember we have a website. It's called happyhourradio.net. And check out the Facebook page. Lots of fun stuff going on there. Uh, check out some photos. And, of course, if you have any questions, you can check us out on Twitter at Happy HR Radio. I'm sitting here with Robin Pollard, the uh, executive director of Pollard Per Se at dot com on Vashon Island. Uh, of course, we tried the, the lovely 2016 Cabernet Franc from Pollard Vineyard. And now, apparently, we're tasting a... <laughs> Say wine, a coffee blended specifically for me. Tell me about this. Well, I asked you what you want in, or what do you prefer in a cup of coffee, and you said it's something bold and robust. So I went out to look at my um, what I had roasted. So I put together a special blend just for you, and it's um, it's Sumatra to give it that backbone. I call Sumatras the. Um, Malbec of coffees. <laughs> okay. So it's big and bold. <laughs> big and bold. Uh-huh. And then I added a Guatemala to give it that chocolate notes mm. and that middle body. And then I topped it off with a Rwanda to give it kind of that African exotic finish. A little bit of a fruit finish, but this is more on the earth chocolate side of the spectrum, I yeah, think. Yeah, it's delicious. Thank you. I, I'm really, really impressed because seldom is a cup of coffee as delicious as this. And I go down, I'll buy Costco coffee and, and I'll French roast, and it's in the morning thing. I, I don't think too much about it. But what is really fun to think about is how enjoyable a cup of coffee can be because it's uh, Starbucks does a 
good job, and it's the new standard for the world. But it, it, I think to go beyond it, um, this is something that actually expresses more personality. And I find I'm really just touched that you blended something specifically for me. I didn't think you, I thought you were going to bring me a bag of something, which was just as cool. Um, so what should we This is like uh, uh, GSM, right? It's Guatemala, <laughs> Sumatra. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so it would be SGR, right? Um, uh, yeah, Sager. Uh, we'll figure something out. Uh, delicious. And you have, people can order coffee on the website. That's correct. And they come in one pound or half pound, ground uh, or? 12-ounce bags. I custom blend, so I am more than happy to do that. Oh. And I offer single origin uh, coffee. I will roast it to what degree of roast a customer prefers, whether it's a medium or a dark. Um, so I'm very much into trying to deliver a product that the customer uh, finds pleasing uh, without losing my imprint, which is all about sourcing the highest quality green beans, roasting them to the point where I think it brings out the best characteristics of that bean and then packaging it. <laughs> now, when you have a cup of coffee, do you have like 15 jars of, of coffee beans that you like? What am I in the mood for today? Do I want Cheerios or Captain Crunch? <laughs> I love waking up in the morning and thinking. The best part of I, waking up. It is. It's the best part of waking up. What am I going to brew today? What, do I, what am I in the mood for? And in the summer, I tend to like the... Ethiopia's because they've got the blueberries, and so I may have a bowl of blueberries with my cup of Ethiopia wow. Wow. chef. So um, I was going to ask you uh, prices for coffees, and do you, the shipped uh, are they? Is there a shelf life for for coffee? I know, I know that we talk about. I remember talking to Chris Upchurch. He was a big uh, roast my own beans right. kind of thing. This is about ten years ago, and obviously oxidation. You know, is, as much as oxygen gives us life, it also takes it away. It does. It does. Um, I my shelf life of the coffee, you know, three weeks. Um, but I'm I'm all about freshness, and so if I get an order in, I will go out and roast and ship. You know? All right. Typically so it's probably still day. warm when it gets to you in that bag, huh? <laughs> and then we use um, one-way gas valves, right. you know, to let the air out, seal them up tight. And the key to storage is keep them in a dark, um, kind of a cool place. Okay, Not good. the refrigerator or the freezer. That's the worst thing you can do. Yes, because temperature, that, that much cold will affect, yes. uh, will break down some of the... Absolutely. Uh, so fun. Well, this has been a delight. Not only did we get to wine and dine, we got to uh, chat over coffee, coffee talk. <laughs> uh, so fun. Robin Pollard, what a treat. Uh, it's great to catch up with you. Congratulations on, on your... your uh, your courage to get out there in the wine industry. I mean, you were before, <laughs> and obviously you were the face of Washington State, uh, as, as well as all the wineries, of course. Uh, but now you're you're going to be pounding the pavement and um, representing the, the real Washington wine, because this is what you got in your bottle. So thanks so much. This PollardPerse.com. Thank you so much, Christopher. My pleasure. And uh, I'm really touched by this this coffee. Uh, it's perfect. And uh, now I, I guess I can party all night. <laughs> I'm sure I'll be awake all night, which is really fun. Hey, folks, hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, we do have the website. And there's a lot of stuff coming up. Uh, uh, let's see, uh, August 4th, this now Seafair weekend next weekend. And uh, coming up is the auction of Washington Wines. And next week, we'll have actually um, a couple of vintners who will be participating in the annual 
annual uh, festive gala out at Chateau Saint-Michel. Um, it's going to be a great time. We have the picnic on Thursday, the uh, premiere dinners on Friday, and, of course, the grand gala on Saturday. Hope you enjoyed everything. And remember, when life, uh, life is always better with a designated driver. Cheers! Cheers!